We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. Now, it's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And we come to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeart, <sighs> and Simul Radio. Now for Simul TV, we're channel fifty. We're channel twenty-one at www.simultv.com. We're also on iLaunch right across the United States, and of course on Comcast. And for all of you living in Hamilton, the X Zone TV show is live. Well, kind of live. It's a pre-record on Tuesday nights at nine thirty on cable fourteen. My guest this hour, Exonation, is Doug Elwell, and we've had the pleasure of having on the on Doug before. It's always a great pleasure having him with us. Now, uh, by day, Doug Elwell works in the field of information technology as a professional web developer. By night, Doug moonlights as a travel writer focusing on the mysterious and exotic uh, travel destinations around the world, including such topics as ancient Ireland, giants, sea serpents, and a variety of historical and mythological topics related to various exotic travel destinations around the world. Doug's second book, Planet X, The Sign of the Son of the Man and the End of the Age, reveals his hidden passion as an advanced theoretical theologian, focusing on retranslating the Bible in the light of the modern scientific advancements. Doug's third book, The Riddle of the Sphinx, delves deep into the question, what is buried in the mysterious hall of records underneath the Sphinx? Well, Tonight, Doug will reveal ancient secrets regarding the creation, nativity, and end times, and how Planet X is um, intimately involved with the birth, history, and fate of mankind, as well as secrets hidden within the mysterious Hall of Records underneath the Sphinx. Joining me now is Doug Elwell. Doug, welcome back to the X-Zone. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me back. It's always a great pleasure talking to you. What have you been up to since you and I last uh, chatted? Uh, mostly working on my uh, regular career, doing web developments, mm -hmm. catching up on the latest technologies. Uh, I keep trying to do Mysterious World and do writing for my book on the Giants and other stuff, but I keep having to put it off because of pressing needs for actual you know day-to-day -day life. Sure. I spent the last three uh, three months actually in a sabbatical, catching up on uh, taking getting some rest and catching up on everything as I kind of restart my business and mm -hmm. also the publishing of books both for professional web development and also for ancient mysteries so i had to do a lot of pre-planning for that and i'm glad to glad you called we can uh, we're trying to revamp our book on mysterious world ireland mm. which we convert to kindle right and instead of one large book we'll be selling in smaller bits which are a little more affordable a couple of dollars each for mm. each large chapter versus 24.95 for the whole thing um, so we're in the process of doing that with myself and Ian Middleton, 
the author, I'm the co-author, and we're going to decide what stays and what goes, put together a revised version and make it available via Kindle. Um, just let me uh, ask you a question based on your, your day job, uh, information technology. Is, is it hard to keep up with all the changes that seem to be going on all the time when it comes to modern technology and the web and the internet? The technology I work with is in constant flux because I'm a front-end developer, mm -hmm. and there's new uh, frameworks and ways of doing things that are changing constantly. And so it is very tough. I have one of the toughest jobs because my, uh, my particular niche mm -hmm. is actually much more aggressively growing than others because that's where the greatest areas of innovation and development can and are occurring. Uh, new and better ways of presenting data with and without attaching it to business logic or databases and so forth. New ways of doing databases. Wow. New languages for writing business logic. It's getting more complicated, but it's also getting simpler because um, in the sense that um, we've figured out how to do things in a web, it's just a question of deciding what languages to use to write them in. And there's competition between the major languages, Java, for example, the, which was the first real web programming, programming language. Right. Um, it's still number one, and it deservedly so, because it's an excellent language. Uh, after that, you have stuff like uh, uh, Ruby on Rails, PHP, uh, C Sharp. JavaScript is also used as a programming language, even though technically it's a scripting language. All those new things like Angular and React, you've probably heard of here yes. and there. Uh, these are all written using JavaScript. And JavaScript, I think, was created in 10 days uh, by a guy, I believe, working for Netscape just to, to, show, to solve a short-term problem and how to do scripting in browsers. And over time, it became probably the dominant programming language for the browser. Mm -hmm. It was just intended to be kind of a shortcut way of doing simple manipulation of, uh, of browser data on the browser side. Uh, so it's interesting how things evolved and how uh, the things that seemed unimportant decades ago actually became critical and most important later, and that really affected the way the web evolved. Let me ask you this, Doug: um, Where do you see where do you see web design and the internet ten years from now? I think ten years from now we're going to be seeing a convergence between different ways of doing things into object-oriented programming languages. They're going to become more and more similar to each other to the point where it'll be almost interchangeable. Mm -hmm. uh, there'll be increasingly less difference between the different kinds of frameworks and different kinds of programming languages because they're all determining what the best practices are and the best practices for how to implement them. So uh, more and more of these frameworks are, are just copying each other to see how to do it better. And I think we're going towards a convergence in the next 15 to 20 years where you can warn, you can learn one or two programming languages and be able to do almost anything. Do you, do you think that this, this uh, ongoing software uh, war between Microsoft and uh, Mac will ever, or, or I should say Apple, will ever neutralize and there will just be one instead of having to go th and buy different software packages? I don't know. I think we might always have competition uh, for new ways of doing things. But I think uh, C Microsoft, for example, is largely C-sharp, its main programming language, emulated mm -hmm. Java. It was so close to Java, it was actually... Uh, uh, kind of, of an infringement of copyright, and you had to make some significant changes to C-sharp in order to make sure that it, it wasn't an exact copy of Java, or very similar. So they created their own version, but it still closely mirrors Java's 
basic development principles, best practices, such as object orientation and encapsulation, things of that nature. And uh, that's true of really any good programming language. And wow. so even though you might not have a perfect convergence, mm -hmm. you'll have a situation where you have a Java programmer work effectively on a C-sharp team or another open source development language with minimal training, I'd say, for the next 10 to 15 years, uh, which is where it should be because a lot of our problems with finding and keeping good jobs is the constantly shifting uh, programming landscape mm -hmm. and, and, and standards and practices, which if you don't learn the new stuff, you become in, unemployable within a couple of years. Wow. All right. Speaking about that, we're going to be talking to you this hour about um, Mysterious World Ireland, the travel guide. We're also going to be talking to you about the Travel Journal. And, of course, I always w I'm interested in hearing the riddle of the Sphinx. And what really happened to Planet X? It seems like we don't hear about Planet X anymore. Hmm. What's your take on Planet X right now? We've got about two minutes. Uh, Planet X is um, still being searched for. It's yeah. actually been called Planet 9 now because they wanted to avoid a lot of the hype and silliness online about Planet X. So mm -hmm. it was a good marketing move. But Planet uh, X or Planet 9 research is still alive and well. Uh, they believe, actually, some astronomers believe it's somewhere in the region of Taurus or Orion or somewhere between them. They know for sure it exists because it's uh, the, the, uh, the, the state of the outer solar system and even some parts of the inner solar system indicate the necessity for a planet X type object to have existed sometime in the past in order to explain many of the anomalies you see of the outer planets uh, and some of the inner planets, uh, such as mm -hmm. mainly the asteroid belt, the asteroid, asteroids in general, because there's several belts actually, some closer to the sun, some farther, and also the comets, which require a point of origin. Uh, recently, when they sent a, a, a probe out to a comet, uh, to check to see what it was made of. They're expecting to find out about the outer solar system because the theory was that there was a disturbing agent like Planet X which drew overworked cloud material from outside of the solar system inside into elliptical orbits like we see comets having. And this object itself also had an elliptical orbit which kind of created their orbits. But they found when they took the sample from the, this comet, I think it was called Vil 2 or something, Right. Found that it actually originated inside the solar system, not outside. All right, Doug, stand by. You and I have to take our first break. Exonation. Doug L. Will is our special guest. www.mysteriousworld.com is the website, and Doug and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the Exon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name's Rob McConnell. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast, but the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba -ba -ba -ba. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast. But the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Don't go away. 
And we're back with Doug Elwell. His website is www.mysteriousworld.com. All right, Doug, we were briefly talking about Planet X, and, you know, um, when do you think Planet X will actually be confirmed that it's really there? I'm sorry, Planet 9, uh, as it's called now. When will we finally get the proof that we'll put the naysayers in check? I have a feeling it has something to do with the end times, and it's a military secret in the highest order. Hmm. So I think that um, if it does exist, it's going to be a hidden secret until it actually becomes visible from the Earth. I personally think Planet X is the, one of the main actors in the Book of Revelation. Uh, in fact, the description of the throne in, in Revelation 4 might actually be a description of Planet X itself. And a lot of the cataclysms that happen sound mm -hmm. like comets and asteroids striking the Earth or coming close to it, which is exactly what, hap what would happen if you have a large planet-like or actual planet-sized mm -hmm. object, an actual planet. Passing through our solar system, it would bring a lot of junk in with it, and the inner solar system would be pelted with comets and asteroid material. And so when the Bible says the day of the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, my theory is, is that Planet X actually has a 2,000-year orbit, which brings it in and out of our solar system, 1,000 on its way in and 1,000 on its way out kind of a day and night kind of concept. And when it comes back, it brings all kinds of stuff with it, which causes cataclysms on the entire solar system, not just the Earth. And so mm -hmm. part of the reason we see the moon covered with covered with uh, craters, um, Jupiter, Saturn, some, and other planets showing evidence of disruptions in the inner solar system uh, is because this planet passes through our solar system and causes disruptions every couple of thousand years. And this explains many anomalies, not only of the inner solar system, mm -hmm. but also of the outer and the inner. I personally think the axial tilt of all the planets was ultimately responsible, caused by Planet X passing near them, because uh, uh, the, the first two planets, uh, uh, the first two planets, Mercury and Venus, they don't have any axial tilts, orbits, they don't have moons, satellites, uh, or, or significant rotational rate of any kind. They're just like they should have formed originally when the planets first formed. But every other planet from the Earth on outward had evidence of catastrophic uh, interactions with one or more other objects. They all have axial tilts, they all have fast rotation rates, they have satellites, some of them have ring systems, none of which would have formed naturally as out of if you follow the accretional hypothesis, what was called the nebular hypothesis, where all the planets formed out of a nebula disk around the sun as the sun was forming. And we know this is the way planets form because we can see it in progress in other uh, solar systems in our galaxy. So we know for sure that's the way it works. But these the planets from Earth on out all show evidence of having interacted cataclysmically with at least one other object. And it would require an external force, external object entering in our solar system from a, a rough perpendicular angle and from beneath the angle of the ecliptic to have achieved these effects. And so scientists are certain it exists because there's no other way to explain the anomalies in our solar system. So based on based on uh, the thousand in thousand out, when would the most likely passing of or entering into the solar system where the existence of Planet Nine can no longer be denied? When do you think that'll happen, Doug? If if Planet X comes in, it probably uh, enters in as far as the asteroid belt. Mm -hmm. 
That's Sitchin's hypothesis, and I think it's a reasonable idea, because the Sumerians talk, would talk about how uh, Nibiru would pass through the original place of the crossing right. of conflict with Tiamat. And Tiamat was actually the Earth, and the Babylonian creation epic, uh, which is the old creation epic of the Babylonians and Sumerians, which Sitchin uh, interpreted as being in a description of a planet penetrating our solar system, uh, catastrophically interacting with the outer planets, and also actually striking the primordial Earth, mm. which orbited where the uh, asteroid belt is now, with a couple of its different satellites and moving into a position close to the sun, into its current orbit. And uh, one proof of that is, is that you actually, if you move Earth from its current orbit, from its old orbit, from its current orbit to its old orbit, and then um, multiply the distance of Mercury from the sun times two, you get uh, you get Venus. And if you multiply Venus distance times two, you get Mars. Mm. If you multiply Mars distance from the sun by two, you get Earth in the asteroid belt. And you can double it every other all the way out to all to Uranus when it starts to break down. But uh, otherwise, it doesn't work. Now, Bode's law, uh, which is a uh, was an attempt by Johannes Titius Bode to um, find the farther up planets by estimating how far they might be from the sun based on the distance of the existing planets from the sun. Put together something called Bode's Law, where he could try to calculate the distance. I estimated something, uh, just simply if you could simply double the distance. Mm -hmm. And if you move Earth from its current location, where it was moved to, to where it was originally formed in the asteroid belt, it's very close to being twice as far as the previous planet, which is a very high correlation. Uh, in a scientific circle, there could be considered proof that Earth actually formed where the asteroid belt is now and was moved to its current location because of catastrophic. It would have acquired a catastrophic right. conflict with a planet-sized object with a massive um, gravity and possibly even impact with one or more of its satellites to move it. And Earth not only uh, shows evidence of being moved, it shows evidence mm -hmm. of catastrophic impacts in its ancient history, one of which... Uh, actually formed the moon. That, that was called the giant's impact theory. We know for sure the moon was created when um, a, an impact uh, object the size of Mars, roughly. Not Mars itself, but the size of Mars. Mm -hmm. Impacted Earth, embedded itself deep into its core, where it is still today. Mm -hmm. And in the process, a lot of Earth's mantle was ejected into, was molten and ejected to orbit around the Earth, where it gradually cooled and solidified into the moon. And I think, in my theory, and based on Sitchin's theory, we should take credit for this, um, the asteroids are also made out of Earth's mantle, because that's where the original cataclysm occurred. And so the asteroid belt is basically a debris field from the original cataclysm, um, where the majority of the Earth was moved to a position close to the sun along with its moon. And um, recent, uh, recent analysis of the asteroid belt um, at the asteroids, have found that actually they contain a large amount of water, which would not have occurred if they formed like that. Right. So they must have come from an existing object. And the only existing object in our solar system which has a lot of water is Earth. So therefore, I believe very strongly you will find that the asteroids originated from Earth's mantle, proving absolutely that the Earth formed at the fourth position from the sun. Now, Doug, where did your interest in Planet X come from? Uh, as a Christian, I'm looking forward to the second coming. It's yeah. a, you know, apocalyptic, and that sort of thing. And when I was in college, I um, 
for some reason I I had the feeling that Christ was returning in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. I needed to learn something important. And so I studied apocalyptic uh, literature in the Bible and also extra-biblical texts in the Apocrypha. It's all very interesting. Uh, but the Bible was my particular favorite, of course. And sure. Revelation only had so much, but one of the interesting passages, and maybe the most important guide text for the end times, is, is uh, Matthew 24, where Jesus describes the events of the end times in a simple form in order. It was like end times for dummies. And they, um, because the, the book of Revelation is obviously very complicated, but it sure is. It's not very simply. And he says, uh, at, the, at the peak of this cataclysmic period, mm-hmm. the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And so I figured, well, there's, that's interesting because Jesus was, uh, birth was foretold by a star or a planet, possibly. Yeah. And his second coming, it sounds like it's being foretold by a star again, our planet. And so I figured, okay, what could this be? And so I started studying astronomy because it was always a passion of mine. Astronomy, ancient history, religion. I found I realize now because they're all interrelated. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied uh, a number of different theories on what the star of Bethlehem might have been. And the three major theories were a comet, uh, a supernova, or a, con- a conjunction of planets. And even though all three of them had their pluses and minuses, none of them really fit the criteria. Well, the Star of Bethlehem passage in Matthew 2, um, uh, comets are harbingers of evil, not good, and they, they don't last long enough for the major to follow them from Persia. It would have taken months to travel from Persia to, to, to Israel. Um, the conjunction of planets, there was a mm-hmm. conjunction of uh, Saturn and, and Jupiter, I think, around that time, but conjunctions only last a couple of days. And then the planets move apart again, pretty rapidly, actually. Um, so that didn't really work because, again, of the time factor. They couldn't have followed this because the conjunction was only a couple of days. Supernova, the same. They only last for a couple of days, so you can't follow that either. Right. Um, so I kind of gave up on that, those theories. And the other ones, most of which were just kind of silly. And I was about to give up when I stumbled across this strange book called The Twelfth Planet by Zechariah Sitchin. All right, we're going to have to take a little break here because I do have to go from my news break, and uh, this sounds like a great place for a cliffhanger. Explanation, our guest this hour is Doug Elwell, and if you'd like to find out more about Doug, about the book he's, books he's written, visit his website at www.mysteriousworld.com. And I will be back on the other side of this news break as we continue talking about Planet X. We're going to be talking about Giants, the Riddle of the Sphinx, and much more with our guest this hour, Doug Elwell. Once again, his website is www.mysteriousworld.com. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And if you'd like to send me an email, same email for the past 29 years, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. We'll be back after the news. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't go away.
And welcome back, everyone. Don't forget, the X Chronicles newspaper is available for one and all to read with our compliments at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. That's www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. Doug Elwell is our guest. His website is www.mysteriousworld.com. All right, Doug, let's change it a little bit. You know, here we're getting ready to join into the celebrations for March 17th, you know, St. Patrick's Day. And um, tell us a little bit about your Mysterious World Ireland travel guide. About 10 years ago, actually 13 years ago, we wrote a book called Mysterious World Ireland. Mm -hmm. Uh, We wanted to start a travel guide series, um, starting with Ireland, because it was a pretty popular destination. And it had a lot of ancient, mysterious places to visit. And so we, I got together with a uh, travel writer, experienced travel writer uh, named Ian Middleton, who works uh, out of uh, UK. He currently mm-hmm. lives in Slovenia, where, he, where he's married. Uh, but he just still does a lot of travel. And we got together to put together this really nice travel guide. That was full color, and it was huge, over 776 pages. Like wow. It was. it was gigantic. It was too big. I couldn't bear to cut too much more because I loved it so much. It was kind of a labor. I loved writing it, even mm-hmm. though it was impractically sized. It didn't sell particularly well. It was well liked by the people who did buy it. And so I think that the, the problem was we had was with the content. It was, the book was just too big and we're competing with too many other really good travel guides out there, even though ours was full color and it also uh, had a lot more useful information about the history and mystery of, of the of the islands of Ireland. It's a uh, it was impractical because most people just want some basic information. So a lot of people wanted to just use it as like a coffee table book and more of a, an armchair traveler kind of uh, book, which it works well as. But our next step with that is to take the existing content and update it and put it together in a Kindle format because everyone's using Kindle either a reader sure. or you can use the Kindle app to actually use it on your iPhone or Android. And uh, you can see stuff on there and... Uh, very easily do updates and changes. Uh, one of the major problems with publishing travel guides is the enormous expense, uh, particularly of color. It costs quadruple the print color uh, over a single uh, uh, over a single color, like black. Uh, sometimes some travel guides will go with two colors, but it looks kind of chintzy. Um, but with web, of course, color is no object. This manner, you can put audio, links to websites. Sure. It's a, it's, a, it's a quantum leap ahead, so we're going to go ahead and skip past the print part and just go ahead and go with uh, Kindle because the development cost is virtually nil. We can do the development ourselves. And you no know, printing cost and distribution cost is nothing. And so uh, even though Mysterious Ground Ireland didn't do so well on its first printing, mm-hmm. I think the next generation version will be much more accepted. Uh, we have really good maps, uh, very good information, and a history and Mythology of Ireland is second to none of any other country I've looked at. It's absolutely incredible. The amount of history, both pagan, Christian, and whatever, um, it's all there. And if you like ancient religion, ancient mythology, ancient mysteries in general, our travel guide in Ireland is, is probably something you want to pick up. Why do you think Ireland is such a popular tourist destination? Well, it's, it's a very safe place, yeah. uh, very clean, it's well-ordered, well-managed. It's uh, relatively small, so you can get around a lot without spending a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's closer to the United States than most of Europe. Uh, a lot of people from the UK like to go there, too, because it's just across the pond there. 
the, you know, the Western Sea. And it's just, it, there's so much to visit. And I was blown away by everything. That, uh, the reason that uh, the, the book was almost 800 pages long is because you had, we had to cut out a lot of stuff. It was very cool just to make it uh, hit that number. Um, you have dolmens and, and, and mounds and cairns, castles, uh, haunted and otherwise. Uh, you have interesting stuff like the Dracula Museum in Dublin, which is very popular. Or you have stuff that's just completely out of the way. You stumble upon, you know, a, a mound of stones, which has mm -hmm. a really interesting history, which nobody knows about unless you read a book that covers it. Otherwise, it's just a pile of stones. With that pile of stones, that's a really some of them have just the most incredible histories about so Kukulun and, and the Dagda and the Tuatha and how they fought with the with the, um, the Pomorians over control of Ireland. Um, how you know the Eye of Baylor, how he used it to destroy, uh, almost destroy the um, armies of the Tuatha until Luke shot it with his magic spear. Right. Um, very interesting and possibly evidences of ancient technology at work, which. Over time, mythology has kind of lost the concept behind what this is. And people just assume, oh, it's just superstition. This didn't really happen. Baylor didn't have a, a great eye he could use to kill and take out an entire army single-handedly. I have a feeling, based on some recent research I've been doing into the Bible and the way the text, that such a thing may have existed in the ancient past. And my have actually taken, played major roles in major points of human history. Uh, particularly in the Bible, and especially in places such as the Book of Exodus, and possibly the, also the uh, life and times of Elijah. What do you think the Bible actually is? The Bible is a history of a people known as Israelites. Um, their back, their backstory, their mm -hmm. actual history, their downfall, and of course the God they worshipped and how um, He wanted them to be saved, but they continued to rebel against them. So he sent his son to save them from themselves and bring them back to him in a way that is not dependent on their mm -hmm. behaving well, because they was obviously weren't going to do so. And so he decided to bring them back to him by sacrificing his son on the cross in order to do so. That is my belief. That is the Christian belief. Right. And as the heart of the Bible, really the Bible is about the, the birth, history, and downfall of Israel, and then its redemption by Christ. And, uh, and its return and translation into resurrected eternal bodies at the end of time. The lost technology that you mentioned a few moments ago, where do you, what do you think happened to it? I believe this lost technology was actually uh, created by the fallen angels. Um, the Nephilim? In managing the universe which they helped to create. Um, they added their own elements to the mm -hmm. universe. I think they actually had a part in the creation of the universe and also in the creation of mankind and also the animals and plants. I suspect they did some work there, too. There's been a lot, there's kind of a love-hate relation between them and uh, the, the Most High God. He didn't right. want to work with them, but he had to because they were so skilled at managing the Earth, and they still manage the Earth to this day. They're still in place. And in fact, even in the millennial period, they're still there. They're just under submission. Um, but I think that they created objects of high technology to help them do their jobs. And sometimes they, in an unauthorized and dangerous way, gave knowledge of these technologies to mankind. When you see these space aliens giving man technology, that's basically what's happening. They're, they're, they're kind of giving us this technology in order to make us like them. 
and uh, build up a civilization, I think, that will um, help them in their war against God. I think that's their ultimate goal, is to overthrow God and, and, and have eternal life. So, so, eternally, it, forever. so would, it, would it be safe to say that, in your opinion, the extraterrestrials that are being reported around the world are actually working with these humans in order to overthrow God? Yes, I, do. I believe that's the plan yeah. that they're trying. Their rebel angels are working with uh, rebel humans mm-hmm. to fight against God and overthrow him, or at least delay him indefinitely. That's, I think, what the plan is. Really, Satan's plan was to not win so much as to not lose and to hold off God's uh, reassertion of his, of his uh, authority indefinitely through various stratagems. I suspect that God has been at war with Satan and fallen angels for maybe millions of years. Wow. I don't think that, uh, I think it's been an awful, horrible, terrible time of the most awful battles and most vicious fights. You could imagine so terrible and so awesome that it was too much for us to handle. Therefore, we were protected from it and it was not put in the Bible. Just vague allusions here and there to, to battles and enemies and uh, uh, fallen angels and so forth. What is Ezekiel? If you know the real truth, I don't think we could handle it. Yeah. Would Ezekiel's wheel be, in your opinion, um, proof that mm-hmm. these extraterrestrials really did exist, even in biblical times? Not you know, not only the Nephilim, but also the 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 occupants of Ezekiel's wheel and other examples within the Bible, the Watchers, so to speak. Ezekiel's wheel. Uh... I personally believe that it's actually a description of a jet turbine engine. Hmm. Um, if you look at a jet turbine engine from the back, it actually it looks like a wheel turning inside of a wheel. The turbine it does. is the wheel yeah. talking up. And the outer wheel is the casing. It's actually very simple if you think about it. And if you look at the text, and the Hebrew text especially, it talks about fire coming out of one end. And it's used to propel the, uh, the Merkabah. Propulsion. The, the Ark of the Covenant. Merkabah is basically... A giant version of the Ark of the Covenant. More accurately, the Ark of the Covenant is actually a scaled-down version of the Merkabah. It actually says that in the Bible that uh, that the Ark is a small-scale version of, the, of this huge flying craft that God uses to basically patrol the earth. And he uses them as remote vehicles, remote viewing vehicles for watching things and uh, keeping an eye on things while it's away. All right, Doug, stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our final break. And when we come back, Exxon Nation, I'm going to tell you about a special offer that Doug is offering to you, the members of the Exxon Nation. Once again, if you'd like more information about our good friend Doug Elwell, visit his website, www.mysteriousworld.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on Simul Radio, Simul TV, the Exxon Broadcast Network, Cable 14, Comcast, iLaunch, and many more. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. All right, ExoNation, I've got a couple of messages for you from my good friend and uh, director for Relmar, Steve Benedict. We are looking for people for three of our shows. Number one is Witness to the Paranormal. Number two, Paranormal Court TV. And number three is the ghost diaries now if you are into ghost hauntings things that go bump in the night or if you're into ufos extraterrestrials or if you believe that you have enough proof 
that you can actually sway our international TV audience in giving you a believe verdict on Paranormal Court TV, this is all you need to do is just send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com or visit www.theghostdiaries.tv, www.paranormalcourttv.com. And then last but not least, witness to the paranormal.com. Doug Elwell is my special guest this hour. And first of all, Doug, always great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. But you've got a special for the members of the Exxon Nation tonight. Yes, uh, we have uh, our last uh, couple hundred copies of Mysterious World Island's original printing. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make it available to your listeners for twenty four ninety five U.S. plus shipping. Wow. Uh, just send an email to publisher at mysteriousworld.com. I'll send you an autographed copy, uh, my autograph. Uh, invite you by PayPal, so don't worry about sending money or anything. We'll handle it through email. It's nice and smooth. Um, you can also buy it online at Amazon.com. Just type in Mysterious World Ireland. You can buy it from a variety of sellers. Excellent. So once again, Exxon Nation, if you would like to get your autographed copy of um, Mysterious World Ireland, just send an email to Doug at publisher at mysteriousworld.com. Don't forget it's twenty four ninety five U.S. plus shipping. And it's also available on Amazon.com. Uh, Doug, there's so much to talk about. You know, you and I talked about uh, you coming back on in two weeks. Uh, I have to ask you this, Giants. Where did the fascination from Giants come? The Bible? Goliath? Giants are one of the great mysteries of the Bible. Um, I've always been interested in the weird stuff. It's just stuff that doesn't make any sense. It's just... I remember uh, uh, one of the old, when I was studying in, in, in uh, theology mm-hmm. classes, we were talking about the liberal critical, critical scholars from the Germany school. And they said, well, you know, Genesis 6 is a cracked, erratic boulder that stands out in the otherwise wonderful text of the uh, of, uh, Genesis 1 through 12. Right. And um, I, I, I mean, they, the, the Germans have a tendency to dismiss anything that doesn't fit their predefined theories. So. I wanted to take a look at that. So, you know, is this really uh, kind of a, a throw-in, or is it having value? And in my opinion, not only is it maybe one of the most important chapters in mm-hmm. the Bible, it has critical information there, which is an, important not only to the history of the Israelite race, but also the entire human race. Because um, not only did the giants exist in the ancient world, but they also came back. And it had been a constant war with humanity, especially Israel, since that time, it says in mm-hmm. the book Deuteronomy, I think, uh, maybe it's Exodus. I will have it's Exodus. I will have war with um, the Amalekites from generation to generation. And some uh, Hebrew scholars think that he was actually referring to the Germans. And so, the most recent battle between the Amalekite giants, the greatest of the giants, and the Israelites took place in 1940s and 30s during the Holocaust period. And so this is a constant struggle between these two warring factions that manifests itself occasionally in history in horrific ways. And I believe it's wise for us to remember our history and the things that can happen so that we don't forget and another Holocaust occurs. The, uh, the giants that, that you're talking about, um, are, are they the giants of old that are talked about in the Bible, the Nephilim? In my theory, there's two different general classes of giants. Okay. There's the Nephilim, the ones who lived before the flood, mm-hmm. and the Rephaim, those who lived after. The Nephilim means the ones who came down. Right. They're hybrid between 
fallen angels and uh, human women. I personally think they were created in laboratory environments by uh, aliens who took ova from women and uh, um, and fertilized them with various and modified them so they would be enhanced. In my opinion, and in fact, the, the origin of the word giant is gigantus, which means uh, where we get our modern term genetics. And so it's inaccurate to call the giants to say that they were all huge and tall. Giant really, or giant or that's root word genetic or gigantus really means genetically modified. So they could be taller, shorter, uh, stronger, weaker. Doug, Doug, how did you say that word? So how did you say that word? Genetically modified could be considered to be a giant. How did you say that word? Gigantus, G-E-G-E-N-E-S. Like Genesis? Yes, in Genesis, it's the same basic concept, right. the Latin, or the origins. It has to do, it's all about genetics. Really, the Old Testament's a lot of, all about genetics. Mm-hmm. And the New Testament is about escaping the trap of the genetics and creating a new form of life altogether, a spiritual body, because the physical body was just uh, too limited. So what are we basically doing? So, are, are we just going in circles uh, as a human race? Potentially. If, if not for the advent of Christ, I think we would have mm-hmm. destroyed ourselves a long time ago. Um, in fact, if not, it says in the Bible that if Jesus did not return, mankind would destroy themselves in the ongoing wars that were going on on Earth. And so, really, the Second Coming is not so much a punishment of Earth as a salvation of Earth itself, from uh, saving humanity from themselves, because there's a terrible war that's going on. Armageddon is not just between God and man and the fallen angels. It's actually man versus man. The first half of the tribulation period, typically defined as seven years, according to Daniel, and related information to be found in the book of Revelation. Right. The first half is actually World War III, which I believe, which involves nuclear, biological, and chemical, and everything you can wow. imagine. Terrible time, which requires the rise of a, of a super state with an antichrist at the top, because without that kind of central control, keeping things from sliding into the abyss, everything will be lost and everyone will die. Is it, is, they create a situation where antichrist yeah. is necessary for human survival. Is there a way to survive uh, at the end times, or are we just doomed? I would say, um, I would say, get together at least three and a half years of food, get uh, dig a deep hole, maybe buy a bunker or mm-hmm. some other deep structure that can withstand earthquakes, away from earthquake zones. Begin thinking in terms of survival mindset now rather than later. Um, if a seven-year treaty is signed by somebody, let's say President Trump, for example, then you'll know that it's a seven-year countdown until, actually three-and-a-half-year countdown until things really go crazy. And for those last three-and-a-half years, if you're not ready for uh, to survive, you're probably going to be either enslaved or killed. So uh, it's a dark saying and hard, mm-hmm. to, hard to hear. I understand that. I apologize. But if the Bible is true, it's going to be a terrible time, mostly because of man screwing everything up. God is really returning to stop the madness and, and, and re- renew the earth. And you actually read the end of Revelation. It's all about healing the nations, healing mm-hmm. the earth from all the wounds that were done to it, the poisons that were poured out, not just during the, the wars at the end, but also all the junks that were dumped into the oceans, the floating plastic islands, all that garbage, clearly. Yeah. That has to be cleaned up, and that's what will happen during the millennium. All that will be cleaned up. And uh, by the end of that millennium period, a thousand years, if not sooner, Earth will be returned to a pristine state, and people will be living a long time in high degree of health and be very, very happy 
properly managed for the first time since the fall. So the key to the countdown would be a three-and-a-half-year treaty being signed? A seven-year treaty. Seven-year, uh, okay. Is, which is actually broken in the middle, if we're to believe Daniel, saying uh, the Antichrist will break the treaty in the middle mm-hmm. and uh, seat himself in the temple and, and proclaim himself to be God. Doug, we've got about... Uh, one and a half minutes uh, left before we say so long for now. I'd like to ask you this as a person who's living in the United States. Have you ever seen such political discord in your life as you're seeing now? No. It's, uh, that's why I say it might be in the end times, because this would be typical of the end times. The kind of extremes of differences of opinion, the mm-hmm. failure to reconcile. The fight over the wall was silly. I mean, just put up a wall, maybe just a couple miles would be enough in certain points. Right. But one side wanted all the, the whole wall everywhere, the other side wanted no wall. There was just no point of compromise. It was very frustrating to watch. Um, not just for the, the, the security of the United States, but for the health of people trying to make it across the border. Right. Some of them are dying in the desert, some of them are being raped, molested, sold into slavery. It's a terrible situation. And at the very least, we need to guard the border better so we can save them from predators who take advantage of people who are in a difficult situation. We need to be more humanistic. Yeah, yeah always. Yeah. Yeah, we also need to help and be salt and light. And exactly. Put others first. Hey, Doug, always great talking to you. I wish you continued success. And let us, uh, let us know once again how our listeners can get a copy of your book and your website. You can go to Amazon.com and get uh, type in Mysterious World Ireland on the search box, or you can email me Publisher at MysteriousWorld.com, and I will send you a signed copy of Mysterious World Island for $24.95 U.S., plus shipping, probably about $30 I'll quote, I'm guessing, depending where you're at. And I'll invoice, invoice you via PayPal first, so there's no surprises. Um, also, visit our site at www.MysteriousWorld.com, and we also have Mysterious World and Mysterious World Ireland sites on Facebook. Just search for Mysterious World or Mysterious World Island. Ireland, the mysterious world can be identified by the globe icon in there. All right, my friend, you and I have to say so long for now. This hour went by way too fast. I'll be looking forward to talking to you in about two weeks from now. All right, thanks, Rob. Look forward to it. My pleasure, Doug. Take care. Exonation, once again, to visit Doug's site, www.mysteriousworld.com. And uh, I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Hamilton, Ontario. Canada. I was going to say Ontario on the lake, but nah. We'll be back. Don't go away. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast but the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.